welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. I want to talk to you today about a principle in the Constitution. Don't, don't get nervous. Don't get nervous. It's not going to be all boring and dry. You've probably heard a lot of people saying recently that we need, uh, that we need to be careful about religious tests. Uh, folks who don't think that we should be evaluating political candidates from the standpoint of religion say, you know, the Constitution says there should be no religious test. And uh, other people, you know, even when they're making religious tests, try to avoid that language because it's forbidden in the Constitution. And, and I think it's going to become an increasing issue. Most folks don't know a lot about the Constitution, unfortunately, because it's not well taught in the schools. And so I thought we would just talk about uh, this principle in Article 6 of our Constitution about religious tests. So let me, let me actually read uh, to you the statement from the U.S. Constitution that is giving us this language. It says, All executive and judicial officers, both of the United States and of the several states, shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution, but no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. No religious test. Now, that's the language in the Constitution, which is intended to prevent uh, a religious test being given uh, to a person who is a candidate uh, for office, not just an elected office, but an appointed office. Uh, in other words, that his religion shall not be a precondition positively or negatively to uh, him receiving that, um, that, that office. Now, th- let, let me give you a little bit of the background of how this came about, a little bit about what this might mean even at the time the Constitution was, uh, was ratified. Uh, as you know, the United States largely comes from England, break off from England, and in England, one of the ways uh, that the official state church, the Church of England, was preferred, we now also refer to it as the Anglican Church, Uh, One of the ways that it was preferred uh, was that people who would ascend to high office would be appointed to something or be, in in the few cases where it was done, elected to something, would have to take uh, an oath that would often include or it would be exclusively a religious oath. In other words, I affirm you know, that the king is the head of the church and that the Church of England, you know, ruled by the, by the Archbishop of Canterbury, you know, is the only true and faithful church, etc. You can imagine the language. I'm just making this up. So the, the, the people who would descend to these offices in order to show loyalty to the church, the one true church, in order to prove that they were not dissenters, uh, which would be any of a variety of, um, of Protestant breakoffs, or to show that they weren't Roman Catholics, who were also considered enemies in many cases, would be asked to, to give a religious, to, to assent to a religious test. And this was simply a manner of assuring doctrinal purity, but more, it was a way of controlling who got to take those offices. If we had a officially, uh, let's say, Presbyterian America, and everybody who ascended to office had to take a Presbyterian uh, religious test or make an oath, an affirmation, uh, that they were Presbyterian before they could be in office. Well, then obviously only Presbyterians or those be- pretending to be Presbyterians would, uh, would ascend a high office. So all that to say that that's the heritage that we have as a country. So when it came down to time to 
uh, ratify to write and then ratify the Constitution of the United States, we obviously didn't want a religious test because we wanted to be a relatively religiously diverse country. Now, it's important for you to remember that the U.S. Constitution was not understood when it first came out as being binding on anything but the federal government. It did not apply to the state governments initially. So at the time the U.S. Constitution was written, this no religious test clause uh, certainly applied to congressmen, senators, uh, judicial officers, executives, etc., pretty much anyone uh, in, the, in, the federal, in federal office. Um, they, were, they could not be required to take a religious test to assure that they were of the right religion, so to speak, for their office. But at the state level, this happened all the time. Uh, you can go back and find uh, what kind of oaths were required. People had to affirm oath, a belief in Jesus Christ in some states. Uh, they had to affirm that they believed in God and the truth of the Bible. Uh, they had to affirm that they believed in the resurrection of Jesus in some states. In other words, the states could be as religious as they wanted to be. The federal constitution only bound the federal government in its early days. Okay? Now, when did that change? That all changed with the 14th Amendment just shortly after the American Civil War, when not only had the 13th Amendment uh, freed the slaves, but the 14th Amendment was, made, was, was drafted to uh, incorporate, that's the big boy term, to incorporate or to apply all laws uh, all, and all the rights accorded to citizens under the federal constitution to the states. Pretty easy to understand, really. The slavery had been about denying um, U.S. American rights to a certain class of people, right? Black man in Alabama before the Civil War was not uh, considered to have had the same rights as another man under the Constitution. So the 14th Amendment after the Civil War came along, uh, was drafted, and it said, no, whatever rights a man has under the federal Constitution, he also has uh, at the, he must have at the state level. No state can pass a law that is in any way inconsistent with the Constitution. Now, there were some other cases through the years that sort of grappled with what exactly that meant, particularly in the case of religion. But when it came to religious tests, the upshot was that not long after the 14th Amendment, uh, the same uh, restriction on candidates having to take religious tests that occurred at the federal level occurred at the state level. So what it means is that in order for us, for example, I'm sitting in Nashville right now, uh, in order for us to elect a governor, we do not have to require of him or her uh, a religious test. They don't have to affirm that they're Baptist or Roman Catholic or Church of Christ. They don't have to affirm that they even believe in Jesus Christ or that they believe in the Bible or that they even believe there's a God or that they believe that even religion exists in the world. They don't have to affirm anything religiously to take office. Now, all of that is the official restriction, the official requirement that they are not to be bound by any religious test or obligated to take any religious test. What's interesting about what's happening in our society today is that many people are saying that this constitutional restriction uh, can almost uh, come down to the point where it restricts your opinion. Um, and so you'll find people on the various chat shows saying, well, you know, in this country, there's not supposed to be a religious test, so you really can't make any kind of evaluation. You aren't supposed to really vote according to religion or not vote according to religion. Well, let's be very clear. The constitutional restriction on a religious test, on 
anyone having to sort of pass a test or take an oath or affirm their religious status before they can take office that now applies both to the federal government and to the state governments. Um, that is a matter of official policy. That is a restriction on there being any official test or affirmation or oath that a man or a woman has to take before they can take national or state office. That does not obviously in any way restrict you having your own opinion about people's religions. So a religious test is something official. It's something state. It's something legally mandated. Uh, the language was never intended to restrict what a person might think. Let me, t- let me make an extreme case. I've already spoken, uh, I think, factually but kindly about Mormons in my various podcasts. So let me just use this example because I think it's safe. Nobody will think I'm being uh, serious. If I hate Mormons, if I'm just a guy who just thinks that Mormons are devils, I have the right not to vote for a Mormon because he's a Mormon. That's not restricted in any way. Now, if I happen to be the governor of Tennessee, I can't require my lieutenant governor to take an oath affirming that he has the same view of Mormons that I do. Or if he's a Mormon, I can't keep him from office because I hate Mormons. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're, not, we're talking about two different levels. There's the opinion level, and then there is the official legal requirement level. At a legal requirement level, no religious tests. We love that in America. However, uh, this is not a thought restriction. This is not intended to identify a thought crime or something, and you can believe whatever you want to believe. In fact, while I certainly wouldn't advocate anybody hate a religion so much, they wouldn't consider anybody from that religion to be a candidate for office, I do think, and I've been advocating for years, that we should consider the candidate's religion uh, as part of the package that we consider regarding them being a a candidate for office. Uh, That's not bigotry. I've said many times, in in an age in which I'm likely to know what kind of underwear a presidential candidate wears, what his dog's name is, uh, I certainly can know something about his religion and what he believes about it. Particularly when, like Barack Obama or George W. Bush or Michelle Bachman, or Newt Gingrich, or a couple of dozen other people who might ascend to high office, they say, I not only believe what I believe, but I intend to apply it to my role in in public office. So on the one hand, we want no religious test. We don't want anyone to have to sign, you know, an evangelical or Catholic or Jewish or Buddhist or, you know, Hindu affirmation of faith before they can you know, uh, ascend to office. We don't even want them to have to verify that they believe in the Bible because then, of course, you get into those theological issues. What does that mean? And this is not the role of the state. So the, 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 the uh, restriction on a religious test keeps us from all that kind of stuff. However, that has nothing to do with the right of a citizen to evaluate a candidate on the basis of their religion, at least in part, And I'm of the opinion, and I've been advocating for years, that we ought to be asking more sophisticated religious questions. Uh, Even though I'm a Republican, I I think that we let George W. Bush get by with just saying things like, you know, when he was asked who his his favorite political philosopher was, he answered Jesus Christ because he changed my heart. Well, what does that mean? And what does that mean about what you're going to do in office? And are you going to take us into a war with Muslims for religious reasons? And so and so and so and so. What about Barack Obama? Barack Obama came into office saying, I'm going to apply my liberal Christian social ethics uh, to what I do in the Oval Office. What does that mean? What does that mean about the poor? What does that mean about the rich? I mean, I think you will find at the heart of what Barack Obama believes 
uh, a bit of a criticism of the rich um, that springs from some passages in Scripture uh, and that makes him prefer the poor over the rich. Is that legitimate? Uh, well, that's, my point right now is not to debate that. My point is to say it comes from religion. So if we're going to be a sophisticated electorate, particularly in an increasingly religiously charged age and an age of religiously charged politics, we cannot let the Constitution's language, which legitimately keeps us from having official religious tests in this country, from asking uh, religious questions and evaluating the religion of the people that we um, that we are voting for. What does Michelle Bachman believe? What does she believe about Muslims? What does she believe to be God's will? Will she get up in the morning and try to hear the voice of who she thinks is God and conduct policy on that basis? It's a good question. Newt Gingrich is a Roman Catholic. What does, he, what does that make him believe about everything from abortion to homosexuality to the papacy uh, even to the to the to the pedophilia scandals in the in the in the Catholic Church, all of those things need to be pondered of a candidate, and it's not bigotry to do so. So we celebrate the the ban on religious tests in Article Six of the U.S. Constitution, but we believe that at a voter evaluation, think through the candidate, decide who you're going to vote for. Level, religion's got to be part of the package, just like I was told in Alabama this last week that no one should ever be elected to offer office who's not a Bama fan. No, I'm joking. Obviously, we want religious tests at the informal level, but we want no religious tests at the legal level. And if we do that, we'll have a stronger country, we'll have a more religiously sophisticated country, and we'll have a better educated electorate. This Stephen Mansfield podcast was brought to you by the Mansfield Group. Find us at mansfieldgroup.com.